Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Michelle Woodward, CEO Whisperer, is back, and we're going to have a conversation about how to pull yourself out of a rut. So listen up as we talk about this and what are some important elements, and I will circle back after our conversation. Thanks for listening. Michelle, hello and welcome back. Every time I'm with you is a happy, happy day. It's a very happy day. Yay. Yay. So today we're going to talk about how to pull yourself out of a rut. <laughs> I know. Isn't this like, I think this is the topic and especially maybe it's, it's, you know, it's good at any time of the year, but it's the thing that a lot of people struggle with is they, if they're conscious that they're in a rut, how do they get themselves out? That's mm-hmm. why I thought it would be a great topic for us to t- discuss. So, Michelle, do you go get it yourself into ruts? Oh, see, that's a leading question right there. <laughs> Boom. You'd be thrown out of court in a minute. Yes. I think I do get in a rut. And actually, I've, I fairly recently found myself in a rut. And so um, I want to talk about what you can do to get yourself out. But I think, first of all, you really have to be conscious that I am in a rut. I am in a stuck place. I am in um, a place that doesn't feel good. And you have done such great work in your practice, in your coaching practice, to um, help people kind of become aware of their bodies and what's going on with them. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about how do you even notice, because a lot of us allow ourselves to get numb or unconscious, and we just sort of go through the same motions every single day, and then it it kind of takes a, um, I don't know how to even say it, sort of like a standing up and awareness, mm-hmm. a smelling the coffee to say, wow, I'm not happy here. Mm-hmm. This is not actually working for me. I mean, how do you help people who come, come to that place, who get to, who need to get to that place? So my people are really good at fleeing, right? So they either flee into food to numb themselves or they flee into busy and overachieverness. And so work, whatever, and and really about getting that consciousness of what's going on inside of my head. What am I rumbling with? What is, you know, what are the things, what are the stories that I'm telling myself that I'm believing? They don't even know that that's occurring because it's been this, ooh, I'm feeling this. I don't know how to put words to it. Let me just numb it because I don't know how to deal with it. Let me run away from it. And, and again, it can be with work. It can be with food. It could be with um, busyness. Right. Or, or let me go get this next advanced degree to achieve more. Right. And so really we work on getting connected. What's going on? What are the stories that are going on in your head? And, and that's that consciousness that you're talking about. Where are you right now? And a lot of times they'll say, who was it? A client said something and, um, he said, Oh, the world is her oyster. And I said, well, what about you? And he goes, well, the world's not my oyster. Mm. Right. And then as he was talking, he goes, well, that's really not true. Hmm. I can make choices too. Wow. 
So, you know, the thing is, is that, so to be kind, first thing, the first step is to be, is to like turn on all your spidey sense, right? Mm-hmm. And say, what is really going on here? And you have to notice that, you know, somehow you've kind of lost your mojo or, or things feel flat or you feel just kind of bull. And then really actually cuddle up with that feeling because it's your friend. It's actually coming there to tell you something really super important. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think you and I have talked about, I'm, I'm in the uh, second year of empty nesthood, which the first year was, everything was a surprise. So, <laughs> yay, you know, oh, oh, this is, oh, this is what it's like. This is what it's like to go to the grocery store and only buy food that I want to eat. How fascinating <laughs> that is. You know, I, I, no, I realized the other day, I, I had this dream the other, so you can do a dream analysis on me, but I had this dream the other night that this very powerful friend of mine came over to spend the night for whatever reason. And my biggest concern was I'm sure the orange juice in my refrigerator has, has gone sour because I don't drink orange juice anymore. And I, I, I've been there since the last time one of my kids was home. And, and so I think this was my psyche telling me, you know, um, if I'm going to have guests, I got to have stuff in the refrigerator, but nonetheless. Um, so, so, you know, this second year of empty nesthood has actually been harder than the first year. And it's because there's, I know exactly what to expect. And so I found myself sort of like, you know, grumpily, you know, stomping around my house. My poor little dogs are, you know, terrified. But um, because I know what to expect and it means that I need to create stuff in my life rather than having the kind of easy stuff of having other people who live in my house who make really great stuff happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so what I found myself is getting into these like ruts, like, ugh, I hate my job. Ugh, this is just so, I mean, every day, same deal, right? <laughs> these people with the same thing. I mean, you know, really, I do love my job. But there are moments where I'm like, if I have to one more time talk to people about how important networking is, I think I'm just, it's, I'll go get a job somewhere, <laughs> right? I just, and, and, but what I really have to love about myself is what this is really not about my work. This is about me knowing I have some sort of excess capacity in my life. There's, there's my hundred units of energy. I have some every day that are not being expended. And, you know, I've talked about the 100 units of energy with you before, but I'll just recap for other people. Is I have this theory that I handily call the 100 units of energy theory. And it means it's that we have 100 units of energy to spend every day. And yesterday you had 100 and you spent them all. And today you have 100 and tomorrow you have 100. You can't borrow from tomorrow. You can't get 110 units in your day. So... I've got a hundred and I feel like I'm kind of like eking out 93 of them, but those others are going to evaporate. Right. And so that is my definition of you kind of in a rut or a stuck place is where you just, you just don't have that, that joy and animation in your life. But how, how would you define it? The stuck place. When it's just the grind and you're just, you're exhausted and you, um, you can't even see sunlight. You just feel like it's, you're in that dungeon and it's like, oh, here I am again. Here I am again. And reminding yourself that you have choices 
and to pay attention to that. Yes. And so I figured out a way though, and I maybe I should say mwahaha, mwahaha, I figured out a way to bounce out of it. And it, it's not me, I'm not saying bounce out of it so you don't have to do anything that feels unpleasant because sometimes the unpleasant stuff is there to give you a sense of contrast between where you are and where you can be. So I'm not saying to not, to move out of it so you don't have your feelings. That's not it. Mm-hmm. It's to, to realize, ah, ah, this is here. This is happening. You know, let me understand what it's here to do for me. And then how do I bounce out of it? And I decided that there are really actually two things that you have to do. And one of them is you're going to be very surprised to hear this from me. But the first one is to get creative. (laughs) That's not the surprising one. But to be creative in whatever way, um, whether it's, you know, doing a vision board collage or, um, you know, creatively solve a problem, paint, write a poem or write a haiku. And when I say paint, I mean, you can even paint your house. That's very creative. Paint a room in your house. But do something that's creative is, I, I think, is the way of kind of turning on a different part of your brain, um, even if it's creative problem solving. Um, you know, fix something that needs to be fixed, but do something that's creative and takes that different side of your brain. That's the first thing. Do you have anything you want to say before I go to the second thing? I, I, I would call that stepping away. Oh, I love that. Yeah, because what it does is it takes you out of the rumination about the thing that you're Mm -hmm. ruminating on, and it puts your brain in this other thing of of creating something, of 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 doing some sort of creative problem solving. And then the second thing, the woman who last took an exercise class in junior high, (laughs) I mean in junior year of high school, because I took a tap dancing class because I wanted to be in the chorus of the senior play but um but I think you really need to get physical Mm -hmm. and um and I'm not an exercise Nazi I'm not somebody who says but everybody feels better when they release their endorphins by no I'm not that way but what I have found is even taking a stroll outside in nature even you know you don't even have to break a sweat but getting out again changing your environment you could even go walk at the mall. It doesn't even have to be in nature. Nature, the research shows that being out in nature really does help your mood. But if that's not, you're not in an uh, environment where that's possible, um, I think walking at the mall or someplace that's enclosed can be equal. Um, you know, I've just started taking Pilates the last couple of months. That's been super helpful for, for me personally. Um, but I think that getting physical also changes things up for you and gives you a, gives me at least a sense of um, uh, doing something different because um, Pilates is different and every class is different. And I mean, I know you're a, you know, a champion swimmer and you coach swimmers all the time, but I think when you're in that, any kind of that rut or that feeling of, well, Getting creative and getting physical can be the kind of the shot in the arm to, to change things up. Oh, definitely. I think it just, you know, to move your body can also be a form of creativity. And 
you know, and even going out on a walk, there can be creativity because how are you looking at your environment? What are you taking in? How are you rewiring that brain so that you can go back when you're, you know, doing something that maybe you're stuck in a rut? So for me, that would be writing a lot. I can hit a lot of blocks. And so sometimes I'll just start to notice that I get really tense. My shoulders get tight. And there's that Corinne just pushed through. Corinne just pushed through hardwiring. But then I give myself permission to step away, go on a walk, go do something else, and then come back. And here's the thing. When you talked about art, (laughs) I scream when it comes to having to do art. (laughs) (laughs) Next time you come to my house, dear, guess what we'll do? (laughs) I did this course with some girlfriends a few years ago and we had to do painting and stuff. And I was like, and one of my girlfriends, she was an art major and actually studied art, which is funny. And so... I was in the fine art building quite a bit as an undergrad, but I was so complaining. And I always know when I'm complaining that this is exactly where I need to be. So we were in the in the paint store and I specifically did this with her because she could take this part on because it's not my area of expertise and we had to buy these paints. I can't even remember. I'm like, why do we have to do this? This is ridiculous. We don't need paint. Can't we just use Sharpies? You know, just fighting against it. Every week when we would get together to do this, I was the person that pulled out the paint. <laughs> And I would just get into this trance-like thing. Before I did it, though, I had to give myself permission that it could suck. I had to give myself permission that it didn't have to be perfect. But then I just, there was just this freedom and it was like, wow, you know, I just loved it. And every week I was the one with the paints and other people weren't, but I was the one. So it's really interesting. So I know that about myself. So sometimes when I have resistance to something, it's a, it means for me that I need to go there further because there will be a gift in it. You know, I, it reminds me of the work of Ellen Longer at um, Harvard on mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, her definition of mindfulness is noticing something new. And so when I go for a walk or even an exercise class or even where I'm doing a painting or, um, you know, something like that, I I try to say, I'm going to notice something new. So I don't just walk my usual walk route with my dogs, which I do walk with my dogs. But I, when I'm walking, I try to notice, oh, they've blown the leaves off their grass. Oh, they planted pansies. Oh, look, they've replaced that window that was broken. I am consciously um, allowing myself to notice something new because I know that's mindfulness and I know mindfulness replugs me into being very present with what's going on. A lot of times when, when we're in a rut, we're not present. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in a past hurt or we're in a past experience. And so that, you know, noticing new things, putting yourself in situations where you can notice new things is really important. The other thing that I've learned is to try to find opportunities to replug into something that you're really good at. Mm-hmm. A lot of us, when we get in the rut, you know, we are so self um, sabotaging is not the word, but you know, we're self, self, self critical. And so like, I'm a loser. I can't do anything right. Right. And that just adds to it. So instead say, you know what I am, I am really good at um, making a cake. I don't know. I'm not particularly great at making a cake, um, but I am, I'm really good. I'm a really good listener. And so, 
you know, when I find myself in a rut, I, I really focus on listening with my clients or my children when they call or my neighbor who stops by or my friend I go out to dinner with. I'm like tapping into that thing that I'm really good at. Last night I uh, went, I've been working with this uh, trade association in Washington, D.C., um, actually for about a year, coaching some people, um, doing a 360 review for their leader, and then we just did a DISC assessment for their, their leadership team. And it was a um, going into it, I got a couple of calls from people on this, the team saying, hey, this is not going to go well. You know, just want you to be aware. There's a lot of undercurrents. People are going to be unhappy. So it was a lovely thing to walk into, <laughs> right? But, and, and I walked into it and we only had two hours because of their schedule. So I had this experience in the midst of this potentially difficult situation. And the only word I can use for it is transcendence. There was a moment that I was so good at what I was doing. I was hitting it out of the park. And I was conscious in that moment, I am doing really well. That it made me kind of reconnect with why do I do this work in the first place? Mm -hmm. I do it because this organization that was unhappy, when, when I went around the room at the very end and said, you know, one, one word, how are you feeling? And two people said progress. I'm like, my work here is done. It's not quite done. But, you know, really, that's what I set out to do. And so by retapping into, hey, I do this and I do this very well, it's hard because we're not taught to brag. You know, we're not taught to kind of own our skill set very well. But golly, if you can do it it makes your mood feel like, yeah, you know what? I'm not a big freaking loser. Mm -hmm. Have you had that experience, Kren? That being the big freaking loser or owning? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, let me think. I think you've probably done the former, but I was talking about the latter. Is what I'm thinking. <laughs> I re I've really done the big, I'm the big freaking loser. I think it's really important to own your experience. And, you know, when I work with clients, we talk about that a lot because they get concerned about, well, if I, if I own, or if I have confidence in myself or I own my abilities, then I'm going to be arrogant. Mm. And so we look at, you know, arrogant is when you actually you're puffing up and you still don't really believe you're good enough, but you're puffing up and trying to showcase it. Where when you're confident, there's just, you don't, there, you don't need to prove anything. You're like, here I am. This is what I know I can do, right? And you're, I think you're less attached to the outcome. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it takes practice to be mm -hmm. unattached outcome. You know, I mean, it takes, it takes practice to be in that position where, you know, I'm coming and bringing what I bring and that will put things in motion and then we'll just have to see where they go. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that, that takes practice because a lot of us, we hate being wrong. Mm -hmm. um, we hate being put in ourself, putting ourselves in a position where someone could tell us no. Um, but the really brave thing and the really kind of open thing is to say, I'm bringing my energy and I know that that's going to put things in motion and then we're just going to improvise mm -hmm. and see where it goes. Yep. And I, I think that's the kind of, like, so the um, agenda, I had an agenda, obviously, for the meeting last night. But really what I knew was going to be was going to be how I handled the questions. And you cannot 
uh, put those on an agenda. Now I would like someone to ask question A, Roman numeral one. You didn't pl- you didn't plant two. the seeds in the room. Well, of course I did because I'm a talented professional. But no, so so you know what I'm saying. It's it's it's. But I think it's that moment. Um, and I've told this story before. So I, I was at a baseball game with a really great friend of mine who I love, Amy. And Amy's had her own business for about as long as I've had a business. She's a um, a writer and a a strategic, she helps organizations in crisis. Um, and we were at a baseball game and I had just sent out my newsletter. And so I was on my phone, you know, as the innings were changing over, I was on my phone and I was looking at the open rates on my newsletter and, um, I was really happy with the numbers. And I said out loud, which I wasn't aware that I was saying it out loud. I went, yay me. And Amy looked at me and said, I'm sorry, did I just hear you correctly? Did you say, yay me? And I said, yes, I did, because this is a day when yay me is appropriate. And she said, okay, then, right? Okay. But I think you have to give yourself permission to say, yay me, whether you say it out loud, whether you say it in your head, or whether, you know, you have a best friend that you can call and say, I just really need to say, yay me about this. Because if you don't acknowledge it and celebrate it, you will be in a rut because <laughs> you won't recognize those kind of peak moments. What do you think? It's huge. My clients use it all the time. And I think I got it from you from that particular story. But that yay me just because what happens is that we are so good at beating ourselves up, right? This is the work that I do with my clients. We're so good at beating ourselves up, you know, punishing ourselves, thinking we're not enough. And, but then when we actually get to that point, something that, you know, we would have celebrated before, we discount it. Oh, really? Not a big deal, right? Because I don't want to be too much. Instead of, yay me, it takes not even a second to say it. And what is that feeling state? And then to recognize that you achieved something that was, that mattered to you. And so my clients say it a lot to themselves. They get into that habit. I think it's a, I mean, I think it's a really important, um, it's really an important thing to allow yourself um, and to make sure that you, like I said, you're celebrating something because who who else is going to? I mean, it, it's great if you have a spouse partner who's going to do that. You know, it's great that you, if you're, you have a child who says, hey, good for you, mom, you know, good for you, dad. Um, but what really matters is that you know it and you own it, I think. So this goes to having your own back. And I think for so often, and this is, you know, this, like for me, for instance, waiting for permission for other people to say, yes, you can do, you can do that. Or yes, you can have that. Or yes, you can achieve that. I remember being a young athlete and waiting for coaches to say, yes, you are actually talented enough to make it to this level of swimming. Wanting that permission instead of saying, why not? Like, I want to have my own back. I want, I can believe in myself. I'm willing to put myself out there. That is being vulnerable, right? Because there's the uncertainty, emotional exposure, and risk that that entails in saying, hey, I have my own back. I'm going to um, pursue this. And maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't, but I'm going to pursue this. That takes courage and being willing to be vulnerable, which I wasn't for a long time. And I think the same thing happens with you know, owning your voice or having your back is saying, I am good enough. I don't need to wait for my husband or my kid to say this. Like, am I 
making decisions that are in line with my values? Am I pursuing something that I want? And again, doing it within within your values. It's not like you're running out. I mean, I don't think any of the listeners here would want to run over people and do things unethically, right? Because you probably wouldn't be listening to my show if that were the case. Mm-mm. But so, you know, I think it's, let's just drill down for a minute on this, having your own back. I mean, I am my own best friend. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you. Uh, yeah, me. And, um, and to the degree that, I mean, as I mentioned before, as a single empty nest person, right? If I wasn't my best friend, this would be even crappier than it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest with you, but because I'm my best friend, I cook for myself in a way that's nourishing and delightful. And I cook for myself the way I would if I was having a guest. Um, yeah, Wednesday night. Okay. This is the big nerd alert, but I went to, I took myself to, they had a double feature of the Mockingjay. <laughs> I know. So we were emailing it, each other during I the- know. So the, um, so they had the first, you know, Mockingjay part one. And that went at like 4.30 till 6.30. And then there was a little break. And they, then it was the new Mockingjay movie from 7 to 9. You know, I didn't wait for somebody to say, do you want to go with me? And I didn't like not go because I couldn't find anybody who wanted to go. I went and I bought myself popcorn and junior mints. And I chit-chatted with all the nerdy, geeky people around me who were discussing whether this double feature was as good as the Hobbit double feature. So you know what kind of people I was with, right? And it was awesome. And if I think to be your own best friend, to treat yourself with the loving kindness that you treat anybody other, any other of your dearest friends with is something that gives you that strength to um, be able to go, go through the really difficult times. That was so good. That was so true. <laughs> because you're right. When you can treat yourself with love and kindness, it it fills up those buckets that give you strength for later on when life is hard, when there are those hard moments. And and I used to go to the movies by myself all the time and I haven't in a long time, but and I know a lot of people that would never do that because of the stories again in their head about what that would mean. But for me, when I used to do it, I didn't understand because I thought when I go to the movies, I'm by, I'm, I mean, I'm with people, but it's my experience. And if this is a movie I want to see, I'm going to go see it. So I just don't go to the movies that much anymore. Um, but I love what you had to say about to treat yourself with love and kindness to give you strength. I love that. That's such an important takeaway. Especially when you're in a rut, you know, or where you're stuck is to, to how would you, what would you say to your best friend who was stuck or in a rut? Well, do that for yourself. Yeah. That compassion piece is so huge, but we instead go to ourselves and we beat ourselves up. Right. Which then just keeps us laying down in the swamp and not, you know, <laughs> being exactly. able to get up where we're in that rut. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's so important. And to be your own best friend. And so Michelle... Yes. Have you always been your own best friend? Um, no, I mean, I don't think so. I, I was looking at, so somebody on Facebook, you know, challenged me to put five pictures of myself online that, mm-hmm. that were more than 15 years old. And so I just happened to have a scrapbook in storage of my high school 
a high school scrapbook. And so I pulled some pictures out of that. And I, and I looked at those pictures and I looked at that girl, you know, that prom picture. And, you know, we went to Universal Studios and, you know, those sorts of pictures. And I was thinking, did, what was that girl like? You know, when I was 17 years old, when I was 18 years old, what, what was I like? And I, I, I was not my best friend. I, I was not, I was very uncertain. I mean, I think my colleagues and classmates at that time would say, oh no, that's not true. But that's the way I remember feeling. Like I remember feeling what is my, you know, my hair looks dorky. I look dorky. Um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but I do think over time, um, I've learned that I have to be my best friend because nobody else in the world is experiencing this life except for me. You know, as close as my dearest people are, nobody sees out of my eyes except for me. Nobody feels with these fingertips except for me. And so why not befriend myself so that, that I can enhance that experience? So how did it happen? I don't know. I guess having the, you know, the stuffing beat out of you seven or eight times. You, you, <laughs> you go through that inver- adversity and, you know, you, I think I actually do think when you go through adversity, it's really hard. It's super painful and it's the greatest opportunity for growth you could ever have. And every time I've gone through adversity, I've just shucked things that no longer serve me. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like my burden gets lighter and lighter. Um, And that is a wonderful feeling. And, you know, I'm 55 years old and I think back to my grandmothers at age 55 and their life experience was completely different. And, you know, at 55 years old, they were kind of, they were grandmothers and they were, they were, you know, looking death, you know, they're, they were thinking they were going to die. Although one of my grandmothers lived to be 101 and a half, but, um, they were they were kind of in a different place. I think at age fifty five. Here I am. I'm I'm lighter. I'm emotionally lighter than I've ever been in my life. And how great is that to be fifty five years old and light and strong and curious and creative and uh, you know doing great things in the world and loving myself in an appropriate way. So why do you think there's the difference? Why do I, because uh, I had the crap beat out of me. <laughs> but but uh, I mean, people go through hard things, right. right? Like, so for me, I know that if I'm willing, like, because I've had, you know, hard things or bad things and we don't need to have trauma Olympics, right? Of who had it worse. Um, but when then I can unpack that and learn from that and move through it and not let it define me versus I think sometimes in my life, I used to hold it in and hold it in. And so my, my, my idea is that um, when you don't know how to unpack it and work through it, move through it, it does weigh you down and it can just really age us versus when you understand that these things can happen and you can rumble through and it's going to be messy and you can learn through it. Like we've talked about having that growth mindset, it can be freeing. Right. And that's being open to it. I mean, you know, in other words, all the heartache and difficulty and problems I've ever faced in my whole life, none of them have killed me yet. Mm-hmm. You know, so yay me. Right. I mean, <laughs> so yay me. 
So all I can assume is that someday something's going to, I'm going to go. But between now and then, a little adversity is probably not going to kill me. Mm -hmm. And probably I'm going to learn something really important. So rather than sort of like, oh, I don't want to see that adversity. I don't want to experience that adversity. I'm like, you know what? If it's going to come, it's going to come. And I'm going to look at it straight in the eye and say, welcome. What what are you here to teach me? Mm -hmm. And it may stink. It may be really super hard. But I've done that before. I'll do it again. And I'll come out wiser and lighter. So I guess that's the... That's the mindset, too, that I, I think it's so important. Adversity, somebody's in the hospital, right? Somebody that you love is suffering. Mm-hmm. Is That's not an easy thing. But to say, hmm, this is a tough thing. This is a thing I'd really rather not have happening. But I'm going to be so present with it. I'm going to totally, fully experience it. I'm going to try to be my very best self through it. And I know at the end, there's probably going to be something important that I'm going to learn. What a great attitude to to be bring with you when you know you're in the midst of adversity i was just thinking last night um how thankful i am and you know one of my big falling down moments like five years ago and i was just so heart-wrenched and such a mess and how much stronger i am now i mean i don't want to have to go through that again but um but to be able to go through that experience and how resilient I am now because of it. And I'm actually very grateful and it was very, very painful to go through. But coming on the other side, I've learned so much and I've had such growth. But I think part of it was that I had to have that growth mindset because prior to that, I was so afraid of making mistakes or so afraid of you know, bad things happening that I, would, I wouldn't even attempt, right, to pursue something. And I was very much in a fixed mindset. And so for me, shifting into that growth mindset, being willing to do that, being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to lean out and reach out to people, there was a great deal of growth that came from that. So that's something that I know was really, really helpful and has helped me reframe. Like I believe in struggle and it's sometimes funny because if I'm going through a hard thing, I'm like, it shouldn't be this hard. And then I start right. to laugh. Right. I mean, it's sort of a bumper sticker kind of statement, but, you know, you can choose to be bitter or you can choose to be better. Mm-hmm. And choosing to be bitter, you know, stays with you forever. You know, I, I, I mentioned Pilates. So I've been going to these Pilates classes and I go to the, you know, the beginner classes. And it's interesting to me to observe the number of people, men and women, who are like, wait, could, re-explain that to me. I don't think I'm doing this right. Could you tell me this is hard? You know, um, my machine's not working correct, blah, 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 blah. And and all that is, in my view, they're voicing their fears. You know, they're expanding their comfort zone by trying something they've never tried before. And they're not good at it. It's, again, the fixed mindset. And, And instead of saying, wow, I am trying something new that I have never done before. And I am a beginner. How cool is that? You know, they they're picking that bitter choice that choice to kind of like use that inexperience as a vehicle to to uh, surface all their fears. And it's extraordinarily human, but we also have another choice. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I went into it, I was horrible the first day. 
And I actually even called my daughter and I said, you would not believe how bad I was. I was so horrible. It was funny. <laughs> I like this. I'm like, I'm like a fish out of water. And we laughed, but I went back because my theory is if something's horrible, um, if it's hard, you keep, you know, try again. If it's really horrible and it makes your integrity just really err, then you don't necessarily have to try it again. But it would behoove us all if it's hard to just try it one more time and see if you're marginally better at something or you have a marginally better um, experience. Because hard is one thing, horrible is another. And, and I love your distinction. You had that on another show that we did. Yeah. I love that distinction because it gives people a frame of reference. And I think as adults, right, we get to a certain level where we're established and we kind of get in our comfort zone. And then, you know, exercise is a prime example for adults. You want to go do this thing. Lots of other people may be doing it. Maybe you have friends going and do it, whatever the reason. And you're curious until you step into there, but you have to do a lot of work on going back and being in that beginner mindset, mm -hmm. you know, giving yourself permission uh, to, like I was just had a uh, call with a client and she was saying that, you know, in yoga, it's so important that if your body needs rest to go into Shavasana, even if the rest of the class isn't like, listen to yourself. And so often when people go and do exercise, they're like, they start to compare and despair before they even walk in the door. You know, instead of giving themselves permission to suck at it, because when you are established at a certain level, you may not be used to sucking at things. I am kind of both used to sucking and used to not sucking. So <laughs> <laughs> there are some things that I am really not used to sucking at, mm -hmm. but sometimes I surprise myself and I suck at them, such as cooking. Cooking is something I'm pretty good at, but every once in a while, for whatever reason, it'll be a complete freaking flop. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. I'm also very good at public speaking, but sometimes I'm a flop. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, um, I think being open, as you said earlier, to I don't know what the outcome is going to be. Mm -hmm. That can be a little frightening. It can be a little vulnerable. But golly, the payoff when it's better than you could have imagined mm -hmm. is pretty sweet. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I'll say to myself, like, I've got this. I mean, and I guess, you know, when you do nine years of radio and I mean, I, what did I do? Seven years, I think of live radio. I had to deal with uncertainty every single time. Um, you never knew what was going to happen. And so you get to practice it. And I remember one time before a show, I was so nervous and I had that, like, just that gut, my, my stomach was just gone, you know, the, the mm -hmm. bottom, the pit in the bottom of my stomach. And it reminded me of that feeling I used to have when I was an athlete mm -hmm. and that same pit. I'm like, why am I still doing this to myself? <laughs> that was the question. Why? I thought once my swimming career it, it was done, it would be over. And what it was, was that it was that being vulnerable, having to let go. There was, all I could do was show up and do the best that I could. As an athlete, right. that's all I could do was show up and do the best that I could. Now, I will usually say that we have these transactional mindsets, right? Where we expect life to happen like going to Starbucks. You go to Starbucks, you place your order, you give them your money, and you expect your coffee to be made the way that you asked. So if you ordered a latte, you expect it that way. And if you didn't get it, you'd be pretty irate. But that's not how life works. Like you can go into this 
in this trade association, right? And be totally prepared and things, you don't know how things are because there's the common denominator of you have the human element that's out of your control, right? As a swimmer, you can dive in and your goggles can fall off or you, you mess up on a turn, even though you've practiced it 5,000 times. So having that, being able to deal with that uncertainty is so important because we don't know how things are going to happen. We're not transactional. We may do a speech and make a mistake, but that may be actually why somebody in the audience really loves you for it. Right. Right. So the, the thing that you think is like, oh my gosh, this is going to destroy me. Maybe the thing, I mean, that's Brene Brown with her vulnerability talk. Right. Right. She's like, okay, I'm going to try this experiment. <laughs> and that was the thing that all these people were like, oh my gosh, who is this woman? We need more of this woman. And it was an experiment. Well, you know, she is, she's done such an amazing work in the world and, um, you know, she's led so much. And I guess, you know, her whole, all her work around shame and vulnerability has really opened up a lot of people's minds and eyes to what is possible. And I guess that's what we're doing today, too, with this discussion of you find yourself in a rut. One, be comp, you know, conscious that you're in a rut, that things aren't where you'd like them to be. And then here's what you can do about it. Um, instead of just stewing in it. Well, and knowing that ruts are normal or that you go through ruts or I go through ruts, like we, it's, that's the common humanity piece, right? It doesn't mean that you're the only one. It's not just you. Having a rut is normal. And then how are you going to move through it? Right. Exactly. And say, yay me the whole time. (laughs) Yay me, yay me. And when I, and I, so I call it a struggle. And so sometimes, and I've even caught myself this fall, like, and I realized that there's a belief I shouldn't be struggling. And I laugh because I go, but I'm like the queen of, you know, when you go through struggle, you're going to come out the other side. And it's a, it's, it's good. It's the hero's journey, right? Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. And I embrace that part. But there are even times that I have this belief I shouldn't be having to go through the struggle in this situation. Right. <laughs> That's not very compassionate. <laughs> not very self-compassionate. It said, like President Reagan used to say, you know, if you walk past a room full of horse manure, you get a shovel and start digging because there's got to be a pony in there somewhere. It's his favorite, famous story. But that's the thing is, like, do you look at a room through, full of horse manure and say, I shouldn't have to be suffering mm-hmm. through this? Or do you say, wow, I'm going to dig because there's probably a pony in there someplace. <laughs> So earlier when you said, you know, find an opportunity that you know that you're really good at, I was like, well, can that be watching television? Heck yes. <laughs> right. Because especially if it's a great, I mean, if it's something like Orphan Black, which is a great show, and you've got to kind of figure out the the um, who who the bad guy is along with the character that you're watching, it's like it can be a great, a great way of saying, aha, I knew it was him. Or watch, you know, Jeopardy and answer the questions, but do something that you know that you're good at. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the other part is just owning that. So whatever it may be, and and whether it's just owning what it is that you really like, like sometimes I'll be like, oh, I can't believe I really like this. This is so cliche, but who cares? Own it. Like I like this show. Own that part of it and move on. That's right. I went shopping at L.L. Bean the other day. These are not the most sophisticated, groovy clothes in the world. But you know what? I knew exactly what I needed and I bought exactly what I wanted and I was a happy person. You know what I mean? 
because if you need a turtleneck, let me tell you, there's no place better than L.L. Bean. Not that they're a supporter of our show at all. Um, <laughs> but do you know what I'm saying? It's like, do what makes you happy. Be the best self you can be. I mean, we could say that a hundred times. It's the, it's the underpinning of all the work that you do in the world and all the work that I do in the world. Mm-hmm. Just know yourself, love yourself, and be yourself. That's great. And that's a great way to end. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for coming back. I love these. Uh, Me too. And I can't wait till next time. Thank you. Know yourself, love yourself, be yourself. That's so refreshing. Isn't that the way to live? Know yourself, love yourself, and be yourself. So I ask you, when I say that or when Michelle said that, what comes up for you? And your immediate response is going to be, I don't know. And just like I say to my clients, I don't know is like slamming the door on what's inside there and rumble with it. It's, it's the, everybody probably knows about this. Um, I had a relative who once had this room where it, the door never opened because it became the collect all, but you would always walk by it and you knew exactly that it was the catch-all, all the crappy stuff was in there, right? It was always just shoved in there, just all the clutter. And then that one room, because that never got taken care of, led to the next room and then the next room and then overtook the living room. But we can do that to ourselves in our heads when we say, I don't know. So I invite you right now in the space. And if you need to hit pause on the show, what comes up for you when you hold on to that thought of know yourself, love yourself, and be yourself? Are you realizing you may not know yourself? Are you uncertain to who you think you are versus who the world thinks you are? Pay attention. Just notice what is going on in your mind. Notice how you're feeling. Are you resistant like I was with the paints because all of a sudden you're vulnerable? Because with the paints, really what was underneath that was, oh my gosh, I'm going to be with girlfriends. They're going to be doing art. It's all going to be better than mine. That was my story. My girlfriend did painting in college. Who am I to be able to paint? It's not going to be the right way. How many have that voice out there? But then once I sat down with it and let go of those stories and just connected to my heart and what did I want to do in that activity, we had lots of stuff. I could have taped paper. I could have done magazines. I could have done a lot. I had, we had crayons. We had pens. We had lots of stuff. I took out the paints and I created And I gave myself permission. Some of the stuff I look back and I'm like, wow, look at that. I did that. And some of the stuff I'm like, oh, that was okay. You know, it wasn't all perfect, but it didn't have to be. It's like when I tell parents sometimes, sometimes we expect with the kids that I coach in swimming, the parents will be like, did you get a best time? It's all about the best time. I'm like, you're asking them to hit it out of the ballpark every single time. As parents, do we hit it out of the ballpark every single time? You're not going to. It's not realistic. Great baseball players hit the ball 30% of the time. That's not even hitting it out of the ballpark. Maybe I'm wrong. You can let me know. Um, that may not be a good analogy for me. But going back to this, you, know, you may not know who you are and that's okay. And you can be 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 and not know who you are and that's okay. Because right now you discovered something important. So work on getting to know yourself. Become your own best friend. 
Start treating yourself like you would treat the people that you love and care about. Or maybe treat yourself like you would treat a dear, dear friend. Or maybe it's how you would treat the clerk at your grocery store. Notice how you treat people and how can you to come back and treat yourself that way? Because sometimes we treat the people that we love just about as much as we treat ourselves. We can run over our people, right? Our inner circle people, our family members. And so we have to look at what other areas are we showing up as our best ourselves, best you? And then how can you practice applying that? Because you have it inside of you and test it, experiment. You're going to rumble with it. Loving yourself. What scares you about loving yourself? I know with my clients, we work a lot about, you know, being compassionate. And I was not compassionate for a long part of my life. I was really hard on myself because I thought this is going to get me to that, whatever that was, whether success and why success, because eventually it was all going to feed back into me being worthy. So just do this, do this, be work harder. Karen, you're not good enough. See, here you go again. You're, you messed up here. Like just punishing myself, thinking that punishment was going to excel me. But punishment didn't. It just allowed me to live in the swampland of shame. So practice loving yourself. And I know I have clients who believe that compassion is weakness. And, and just check in. Is that what you believe? What does compassion mean to you? Who do you like to be around? Do you like to be around people that tear you down? Or do you like to be around people that are kind? And, and knowing that, and it can be, if you're not used to being around kind people, it can be like, hmm, what's in it for you, right? You can get in your own way with that. But just practice noticing. Like I had noticed that the friends that I gravitated to were really nice and non-judgmental people. It took me a long time to figure this out. I don't do well with judgment. So why am I so judgmental? And the voice in my head, like I always would, you know, the voice would be like, what the hell? Why are you thinking this? That's my voice. It's hardwired in there. It doesn't mean that that's how I have to be. Because when I talk to myself that way, I shut down. I don't do well. So learn about yourself, right? Know yourself. Love yourself. What's the worst thing that can happen if you love yourself? And a lot of times the answer from people are, I'm going to be too much. People are going to perceive me as arrogant. And there is that fine line, but it's not black and white. It's not hate yourself or be arrogant. There's that space in the middle. It's a continuum. And where are you showing up? I really believe that arrogance is not when you really love yourself. It's when you're puffing up because you're trying to prove, see, I am worthy. I am worthy and you just need to know it. It's that in your face. It's that inner gladiator, which I'm really can be very, very good at. Not in the arrogant way, but when, if my back's up against the wall, and I need to go at it with somebody or I choose it. That's one of my ways is inner gladiator. So instead, practice loving yourself and notice what happens. My clients are always amazed. It seems so simple, yet it can be so difficult to execute. And then finally, work on being you. And you're not going to be the right fit for everybody. And nor is everybody going to be the right fit for you. But really, do you want everybody? really get clear about that because a lot of times we have these stories. And here's an example of a story. One of my uh, shows that I like to watch and I I watch it with my husband is Madam Secretary. So I like to watch it for a couple reasons. I think it's a smart show. I don't know anything about the government, but I think it's a smart show. I like the characters. I like the values of the show. And I like 
that this is a common story point for my husband and I. And so the other day I was on the freeway and all of a sudden I had this fantasy because I'm not a big fan of yard work and I don't do it. And I think it's just tedious and it's not something that I want to spend my time or my, as Michelle would say, units of energy on. So I was thinking about Madam Secretary's townhouse on the show or in her show. And I thought, oh, I could so live there. I, I would love to live in a townhouse so I didn't have to take care of anything in the front or anything in the back. And mind you, I don't do any of that. You know, maybe once a year I'll go and clean out the garage, but I don't take care of the front or the backyard. That's not part of what I do. So I already made a decision, but I had the story of this is where I need to live. And then I thought about it. I'm like, and, and I like her house, but I thought I have a friend that lives in Georgetown. They are very narrow. Like my girlfriend's house, if I need to go to the bathroom, you have to go to the second floor. I don't even, my house is a single story. I love being on one floor. I love that. I've been very deliberate when my kids were little. They always wanted an upstairs. They thought, oh, it'd be so exciting. And I was like, no way. I mean, we thought about it when we remodeled our house. We were originally planning on going up. And, but I'm so thankful not to have stairs. And it's just my preference. And so I went, wait a second. Those Georgetown homes are typically narrower. That is actually probably bigger than a lot of them, right? In terms of width. And I like my house. So why am I having this fantasy about wanting to live in Georgetown where parking can also be a problem? I love the fact that there's parking in front of my house, that there's a garage for parking. It's not an issue. I don't have to time all of that stuff. And I like the energy of living in my small town. And I like that I can drive to San Francisco if need be, or next week I'm going down to Berkeley for a bit. I love that. Or I can go to Tahoe. I love that. But I don't want to live in the hustle and bustle. So again, getting really clear about the stories, because all of a sudden there's this illusion of, ooh, you should want this, right? There's this voice in my head, like I'm lacking something. And then I come back to it and I go, wait a second, I love my house. I love the fact that I don't take care of the outside and it's not too big too big to take care of. I mean, that was our plan when we remodeled. We ate up a lot of our lot because we didn't want to maintain that. So getting to know what's important to you, not what's important to other people, or what I like to do is comparing your life to a television show, right? That's not real. I loved, I was, I've been reading Shonda Rhimes' The Year of Yes book, and I went to her Twitter page and she said, people, this is makeup, it's not real. Because I guess people tech, uh, tweet her, about how they're angry. And I've been one of those people. And that was such good perspective. It's not real. It's television. This is just the stories in our head that she puts out and that we consume, right? So paying attention to what are the stories and then checking in, is this in line with me, what I want? Or is this in line with what society's telling me that I'm supposed to want? Pay attention to that. Get really clear. So it was really simple. As I went through this, you know, it was the seven minute right in the freeway. And I was just kind of processing, but I noticed like I had this longing of, oh, I should want to live there. I love my house. I love my home. I don't want to move any place. You know, sometimes I thought about it. There's this dream home of mine on the other side of town, but I would never move there. I don't like the location. I don't like the grocery store there. So I love, and I love my home. I love the inside of my home. I'm sure the outside of the home is great on that house, but it, a lot of times I walk into those homes and I'm like, oh, but I love the inside of my home. So be really clear. Know yourself. Know what your values are. And there are ways to figure it out just by not even by saying when that voice of, well, I don't know who I am. 
Again, that's that door shutting. And I just invite you to say, you know what, maybe I don't have the answers, but let's brainstorm it. Let's figure it out. What's important to me? Or, hey, I thought this was really important to me, but I'm starting to realize, no, it's not. I mean, I used to think that I would want to travel a lot. Well, I've started to realize, and 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 maybe this will change over time, but in the last five years, I haven't wanted to travel outside of my family a whole lot. I want to be with them. I don't mind, you know, doing some trips, but doing a lot of trips is not for, especially for work, is not something that works for me right now. And so I scaled back some of my work trips because I like to be home. So know who you are, know how you work best and let go of the judgment of how you're supposed to be or how you're not supposed to be. I invite you that. Know yourself, love yourself, be yourself. And then I invite you, be your own best friend. If you practice that, how would your life look different? How would you show up in your life? I invite you to think about that. Shoot me an email. I'd love to hear what you're thinking. And remember, we're building a community at How She Really Does It. This is really, really something that I'm I'm pursuing and I'm doing. So go there and sign up for free. And you're going to get the weekly newsletter that I send out. It's a great communication tool. I, I write what in my mind, I think of it as a love letter every week where just stuff that I'm ideas, things that I'm rumbling with. And I love the notes that I get back. Um, so I know that people do love these and you can always unsubscribe if you don't. And you can, so sign up there at the website. And if you like what you're hearing, you can always head over to iTunes. And I want to do a shout out today from fan from Boulder, Colorado. Thank you so much. When I'm in a rut, especially with my show, like really, does this really matter? That's one of the things I go and I read the iTunes things. It is like eating a yummy dessert. It doesn't fuel me, but I know that there are people that this show is helping and that just fills me up. So fan from Boulder, Colorado, thank you for taking the time and effort to leave that post there. It really means a lot to me. And a special thanks to Michelle. I love to have these monthly conversations with her. Until next time, remember, know yourself, love yourself, be yourself. I'm smiling big for you. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.